Amen. I think I'm on, am I? Did I just turn it off? Okay, there we go. I hope Canaan lands just in sight for all of us. Boy, if the Lord returns, I hope you're ready to go. If for some reason he tarries, I trust that when you close your eyes in death, you'll be immediately in the presence of the Lord, like the Bible says. Boy, again, we understand Canaan land. We know a lot of times uh, that's kind of a uh, kind of an idea. People think, well, Canaan land represents heaven. But really, to be frank with you, in the Bible, Canaan land represents the victorious Christian life. That's what it really represents. And uh, yet, I'm okay by singing it. You know what I mean? I'm going to keep at it. Because I know it's a victorious Christian life that leads me right into the presence of God. Amen? I'm looking forward to being with Him one day. And we trust the Lord to be uh, just on our side, on our, I mean, just there for us all the time. He said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. John chapter 15. Would you turn there? John chapter 15, verse 5. We're going to start things off there. This past uh, Sunday night, we unveiled or shared our new theme for the year. Of course, Do the Simple Well was our theme from last year. This year, as you can see, it's Let's Pray. And so in John chapter 15, verse 5, I want to try to just kind of summarize very quickly how we kind of came to that and kind of, kind of kick off our series uh, on prayer uh, with uh, that uh, summary, if you will. 
We see here it says in chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Now again, this passage points to a very beautiful picture of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he states that, he says, I'm the vine and ye are the branches. The Lord often uses these kind of uh, pictures, if you will. He'll use things that he created to illustrate spiritual truths. We see that in the book of Romans 1.20. He reminds us of that truth. Now, in this particular case, he speaks about the vine and he speaks about its branches. And he says that as the branches uh, are, to, uh, as the branches, we are to abide in the vine then. Since he's the vine, he's the, the life-giving force. He's where all nutrients and minerals flow. We need to be plugged into him. And he uses the word abide, which means to rest or dwell. We need to be resting in Christ. We need to be dwelling in the Lord. We need to consistently be in his presence and always be in prayer. There's to be that relationship there that's growing and constantly going for him. The branches are to abide in the vine, he says. Then he goes on to say, basically, the same bringeth forth much fruit. When we realize that once we're connected into that vine, as the branches, we then can begin to bring forth fruit. As a matter of fact, he says, much fruit. Now, again, when we rest in him and we continue permanently in his presence, we are bound to bring forth much fruit. It's a cause and effect, if you will. So the place of the branches is in the vine. Sever the branch from the vine and it's going to die. That's the reality. A vine is lifeless, it is useless, and it is fruitless unless it abides in the vine. So how vital is it that believers are attached to the vine? It's absolutely essential then. It's absolutely necessary. Well, then from the passage flows a very important and powerful principle. Again, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. But notice this very powerful principle. For without me, ye can do nothing. He didn't say, for without me, you can do little. For without me, you can only do some things. He didn't say that. What he said was, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. See, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and without me, you can do nothing. Why? Because I'm your life-giving force. The only way that you have anything to give, the only way that you can bear any fruit at all, is through me and in me. There can be no question about it. When the branch ceases to abide with or remain connected to the vine, there is no hope of life and there is no fruitfulness. And apart from the vine, the Lord Jesus, there is no spiritual life and there is no spiritual fruit. There is nothing. So this led us to our conclusion, or should I say, the theme for the year. If there can be no spiritual life or any spiritual fruit without him, if we can do nothing without the Lord Jesus, then we need to pray. Hence, let's pray. I don't know about you, but I want to do something for God. 
I want to do something that impacts the culture and the, the, the world in which I live. I, I want to do something that lives on after I'm gone. I want to do something for Jesus. That'll never happen unless I'm connected to the vine. That'll never happen unless you're connected to the vine. That'll never happen unless this church is striving to be connected to the vine. So over the next few weeks, I want to consider the topic of prayer. Ian Bounds said, Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Let me me say that again. I think it's so, so powerful. He said, Ian Bounds, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Why is prayer such a privilege? Well, I want to share two reasons why prayer is such a privilege this morning. Just two. We could probably go on a lot longer list than that. Let me just give you two today. Why prayer is a privilege. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time that we have together. We ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts through the word of God. May your Holy Spirit walk these aisles and convict our hearts. We know that without you, we can do nothing. So, Lord, today I humbly come before you and throw myself at your mercy and ask you, Father, to fill me in a way that only you can, to use me in a way that only you can. Lord, may people not see a mere man, but may they see you, the master, as the words flow. May the Holy Spirit drive home truth. May our lives be transformed and changed because of you and your word and your spirit. We need you this morning. Be glorified in our lives. We know you're worthy of praise. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, why is prayer such a privilege? Well, number one, because of who God is and who we are. Because of who God is and who we are. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 145. Psalms 145. Who God is. That's important. I don't know. uh, What do you think about God? In your mind, who is God to you? Now listen, I want you to understand that everybody has a concept of God. Everybody sees Him in a certain way. But the truth is, is unless we see Him the way God defines Himself, unless we see Him the way the Word of God describes Himself, then we're seeing Him the wrong way. Sadly enough, we're so often insecure in our our walk with God because we don't really know who God is. We don't know what He's really like. We don't know what He's all about. We think we do, and maybe we've heard some messages. Maybe we've sat in Sunday school. Possibly we've read our Bible a little bit, but we get the idea. We know who God is. We know what He likes. We know what He doesn't like. We know what He wants. We know what He doesn't want. But the truth is, unless you've been in the Word of God and you have dug it out of the Scriptures and you've figured out from the mind of God what God himself and who God is, my friend, you may have a misconception of who he is. Boy, we need to know God for who he is. Boy, the world says God's a God of love. No one will ever go to hell because I know who God is. God's a God of love. And because he's a God of love, no one would ever grace the place. He wouldn't permit anybody to go there. And you know what? God doesn't want anyone to go there. That's true. But he's also a God who is just and righteous. We can't leave that part out of the Bible either, you know. 
Can you imagine if somebody broke into your home and beat up your family, stole all your goods, ran out of the house? Can you imagine if they did that to you? How would you feel about them? And then they turn around and say, oh, no, let me tell you what, that person's really, that person's a person of love. They'll forgive me no problem. They'll act like it never happened. It's no big deal at all. They don't, I don't have to pay any price. I don't have to spend any time in jail. I don't have to have any consequences for my actions. Look, look at how kind they are. Look at how sweet that person is that I beat up and their family and all the things I stole from them. But they're so sweet. They're so kind. They're so loving. I don't have to worry about anything. You'd say, that's foolish. They're going to get theirs. Can I tell you, why is it that we think God's so different from us when we're created in his image? Do you know that God says that right is right and wrong is wrong? Do you realize that there are some things we can do that that please God and there's other things that don't please God? Do you realize that if we're not part of his family, that he says, listen, you're none of mine? I'm just saying we have to get what the Bible says. It's not enough to believe what we think God is or to believe we know who God is. We better get a real statement from him. He describes who he is and he tells us what he's all about. We better figure it out from him. Now notice what it says in Psalm 145 verse 3, who God is. He says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that God's pretty great. That's what it seems like right there. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Not only is he a great God and worthy of our praise, no, no, no doubt his greatness is unsearchable, but he tells us also that he has great power, yes, but his understanding is infinite. You say, I don't think God knows how I feel. I don't think God knows what I'm going through. Oh, his understanding is infinite. Not only that, turn to 148, verse 13. Psalm chapter 148, verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. I'm going to tell you something. There's no God like God. (laughs) He's the only God. Now, the world goes around telling us there's all kinds of gods. There are little G gods, but there's only one big G God. And it's the God of this book, the Bible. See, he is God of all creation. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He's the great I am. He is the, he's higher than the highest. He's greater than the great. There's no one like him. His ways are beyond us. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's infinite. He is immutable. That immutable means he never changes. Aren't you glad he never changes? You want to know why? Because when he gives a promise, you can count on it to the end. I'm glad he don't change his mind like we change our mind. I'm glad he doesn't stop loving like we stop loving. I'm glad that he just is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not only is he infinite, immutable, but he's omnipotent, all-knowing, omniscient, excuse me, omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He's here today, by the way. He is faithful. He is good and just. He's merciful, gracious, and he is love. He is holy. He's righteous, and he's perfect. He is God of all creation, and he is glorious. He's holy. Who is this God? He's all those things and so much more. Who are we? You know, the scriptures, 
the scriptures paint a, a pretty ugly picture of mankind in general. Pretty ugly picture indeed. Now this is considered repulsive and offensive to many today who have bought into the erroneous theory of evolution. You know, a teaching that assures us that mankind is evolving upward, gaining ground and getting even better all the time. However, can I tell you, that is not true. That's not true at all. Can I tell you what the truth is according to the Word of God? We are devolving. We are spiraling downward. We are growing ever more rebellious, ever more combative toward our Creator God. Like those at the Tower of Babel, we somehow tried to find a way to build a, 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 a building that reaches heaven, somehow get to heaven on our own. We tried to neglect God and relieve God of any responsibility to tell Him, we don't need you anymore. You're gone. You're off the scene. We can do it ourselves. We don't need you anymore. That's where mankind is going more and more. That's where our culture is headed, if not already there. We don't need you, God. Matter of fact, we don't want you, God. We reject you, God. You don't exist, God. That's the preaching of our culture. But that is not the preaching of this book, the Word of God. Just because we choose not to obey Him doesn't mean that He doesn't exist. Just because we choose to act as though He doesn't exist, it doesn't mean that He's not real. Revelation chapter 3, would you turn there please? I feel like although this passage is focused on the Laodicean church, which is a picture of the, the, the professing church in our generation and age, I believe, I think that it, it kind of pictures really the world in general as well. I, obviously, I know doctrinally it points to us, but I mean in, in an inspirational way, in an applicable way, I think we can see the attitude of most men and women. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Watch this. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's talking to the Laodicean church. Boy, I mean to tell you, their head had blown up. They'd had so much pride. They were so arrogant. They somehow believe that, that they don't need God anymore. I mean, they've got these beautiful edifices and they've got carpet on the floor and they've got padded pews and, I mean, they've got mic systems and they've got all the luxuries. And boy, I tell you what, God, it's going great. And we've got, we can market our church and we can find people and we can have programs and music and everything else. We don't need you anymore. We got the machinery in place. Who needs the master? It's too hard to spend time in prayer. Too hard to read the Bible. Too hard to have a walk with you. We're busy. We've got activities. We've got things to do. We've got places to go and people to see. We have need of nothing. Until we get a call from the doctor that says we have terminal cancer. Until we pick up the phone and someone says our family's been in a severe accident. Till tragedy strikes, so many times we neglect God. 
That's who mankind is. Self-sufficient, arrogant, prideful, negligent of the one who created us. It's only till we need him that we want him. Till then, you leave us alone and let us live our lives the way we want to. See, prayer is such a privilege because of who God is and who we are. We are just simply sinners at the root. And from the time of Adam to this very day, mankind has been separated from God because of sin. Not only separated, but literally at odds with Him. As the Bible states, we are literally the very enemies of God before we come to Him. Turn to Romans chapter 5, would you please? I know that's a, a very unbelievable statement. And, and one may say, I can't even believe that. There's no way in the world that... Oh, yeah. Well, remember, if you would, all the way back in Genesis chapter 6, when God said it repented him that he had even created and made man? What did he do with man? Wiped them all out except for one man and his family. Now, listen, I'm not advocating and saying that God's a mean master. I'm not telling you that he's like that at all. Matter of fact, he is more gracious, kind, and long-suffering than we could ever imagine as we're going to find out. But the truth is, is that he is no fool. He'll not be your fool. He'll not be my fool. I will not dangle him around like a little puppet, expressing to him what I want all the time and him doing exactly at my, my, my whim. doesn't work that way. He is God. I am simply his creation. And so are you. Notice what it says in Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. There's a couple things real quickly. Notice we were without strength and we were ungodly. That means we're, we're not godlike, we were ungodlike. Romans 5, 9, just a few verses. Therefore, he goes on to say, much more than being now justified by his blood. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The fact that you and I can have our sin washed away says to us that we got a God that is so long-suffering, so loving, so kind. Huh. Oh, man. Ain't nobody like him. Just like I said earlier, there's some things that we go around and we struggle, I mean, big time to forgive and forget. Oh, we can forgive even, but we can't forget. God over here says, you know what? I don't care that you crucified my son. I don't care that you took my name in vain. I don't care that you gave your life totally contrary to the word of God. I don't care what you've done. If, If you'll turn to me, if you'll receive and accept me, I'll forgive you, I'll save you, and I'll give you a home in heaven. And that's a God that I want to be tied to. He goes on to say much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. The wrath of God is applied to those who have rejected and neglected the word of God who have yet to receive and accept him. They have to pay for their own sin instead of letting Jesus do it. For if when we were, watch it now, here it is. For if when we were, what's the word there? Enemies. For Again, let's try that together. For if when we were enemies. One more time. For if when we were we were reconciled to God. Now listen, we were the enemies of God. That's what the Bible's teaching us. Before we had been reconciled, we were literally at odds with God. We were in a battle with God. We were the enemy of God. We opposed everything that God supported. We're like the Apostle Paul who went about persecuting the church, as you learned about in your lesson this morning. 
and how he, he vehemently sought to destroy and wreck and ruin the church. He hated God, and he wanted nothing to do with God. Can I tell you? You say, well, I know people that aren't saved that love God. They don't love the God of the Bible, though. They haven't figured out who he really is and what his true demands are of them and what his requirements and what his reasonable expectation is of them. They think they know who God is, but if they knew who God was, they would know that they had to deal with their sin because that's why he sent his son. And they'd know the only way to deal with it was the way the Apostle Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 1. The gospel, the true gospel. Not an accursed gospel. For, we, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, brought together to God, restored into fellowship with God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Boy, I mean to tell you, He died on Calvary, was buried, and rose again. Man, as long as He lives, I live. And if you've trusted Christ, as long as he lives, you live too. According to the passage, as lost men and women, we are without strength, we are ungodly, and we're the enemies of God. But thankfully, God is so much more than man. The psalmist of Israel, King David, he was humbled to think that God would have the least concern for mankind, considering how great God is and how wretched we are. He says in Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, When I considered thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? What is man? When I consider how vast the universe is that you created, and how glorious you are, how is it that you even have time, nor would you even spend any moment thinking about man? Why would you even care about us down here on earth? What makes us even of interest to you when I think about how wonderful, great, and mighty, and, 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 and merciful, and kind, and loving, and why would you have anything to do with us? Why would you even think about us, let alone save our souls? See, why is prayer such a privilege? Because of God, who God is, and who we are. To think that God would allow us to enter into his presence. To think that God would allow us to cry out to him. What a privilege. Not only that, but number two and finally, because of what prayer is and what it does. So why is prayer such a privilege? Because of who God is and who we are, but also because of what prayer is and what it does. What prayer is? Well, first of all, prayer is communication. It's simply communication. John R. Rice used to just simply say this, and he entitled a book for it, Prayer is Asking. I think it goes a little deeper than that, but I think it's a good title. Because in the end, it's communication, and that's what asking is. It is communication between mankind and between God, the creator of the universe. Psalm chapter 5, would you please? Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It's not really that complicated, is it? 
People at times when they first come to Christ, maybe they've had no background in faith. Maybe they don't know what the Bible teaches and that's all right. They may struggle and and ask the question, how do you pray? Well, I want you to know you're in good company because the disciples asked the same question to Jesus after they had been with him a while. Teach us to pray. What is prayer? Can I tell you, prayer is communicating with God. Can I tell you, you don't have to put on airs. You don't have to get in a certain position. Although we see in the Bible there are some suggestions from time to time and we see people getting in certain positions to prove to God that they're humbled before him. It's a gesture of humility many times as we kneel or as we lay prostrate on the floor and there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, you young men, while you still can, get down and pray to God. It's not a matter of, as I said, putting on some kind of airs. Oh, God. Oh, God. But you'll say that if you get burdened enough. But you don't have to go to God talking like he's some ancient of days. He is there listening. You speak to him as you speak to a friend. You speak to him as you speak to a father. Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayers unto thee and will look up. I'm telling you, there's some communication going on here. He's sharing his burden. He's sharing his heart. He's sharing his love. He's sharing his admiration and praise of the Lord. He's just meeting with God and communicating. Not only that, but prayer is communion. Not only is it communication, but it's communion. See, prayer brings us into fellowship with God. It allows us to spend time with our Creator. I remember years ago when I was in the military, I I remember that they uh, had a a three-star general that was coming into town, and and, uh, it just happened that I hadn't been there long. I'd only been there probably a month or so, and the sergeant there had taken a shine to me, and he said, hey, listen, private, he said, I want you to stand uh, in, you know, stand at attention in the commo room and uh, when, when the uh, three-star general comes through. They wanted a representative from the platoon. Well, I became the representative of the platoon, and there I stood at attention. You could tell I did a great job of it. And at the time, I didn't have these glasses on, by the way. I even looked younger than I do now. And uh, I remember this uh, elderly gentleman with all of these stars on his uniform, came in with an entourage of others. They walked ahead and they walked around and the, the, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, platoon sergeant, actually he was, he, he was an E8. I mean, he was, he was up there trying to get his E9, which is the highest you can go. But anyway, he's up there and he's over there describing and explaining what we do in this communications uh, platoon and all the things that we have going on here. And I remember how honored I felt. What a privilege it was to be standing in the presence of a three-star general. I don't know about you, there's not a whole lot of those. What a privilege it was. Man, that three-star general came, soldier! And he was really nice, actually. He's like, soldier, how do you like it here? Wonderful! 
Sir! <laughs> I mean, to tell you, I, it, was, it was just wonderful. But anyway, uh, the fact is, I was glad that there was no lightning striking. But nonetheless, <laughs> the fact is, is that, is, that, is that I felt so privileged to be in his presence. Can I ask you something? Why don't we feel more privileged to be in his It's a privilege to pray. Prayer is communication. Prayer is communion. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Boy, why would we want to do that? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We enter literally into the presence of God himself, the creator of the universe. Charles Spurgeon said, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. Oh, man. Did you get that? That is good, isn't it? He says, true prayer, Charles Spurgeon, mind you, is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. How many times have we gotten down on our knees and we said a prayer to God and it was mere lip service? If going through the motions... Simply getting our duty done for the day. Oh God, just like I used to say when I was a kid, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless mommy, daddy, Eddie, Mark, Jeff, Troy. Now do you think that was from the heart? If I can remember that all the way back then, I stopped doing that years ago. It's been at least four or five now. (laughs) And I still remember it like it was yesterday. A rote prayer. Now listen, I'm going to say this. I appreciate my mom taking me there and saying, you need to learn to pray, young man. We need to do our prayers. But can I tell you, it wasn't until my mom got saved and her life transformed and changed that the prayer changed. Can I tell you, if our prayers aren't changing us, then there ain't been no change already. Martin Luther's talked about prayer. He's explaining it to be so vital by saying, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Did you hear what he said? To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And that'll bring conviction to us. Ian Bounds understood that prayer was more than just asking, but rather an appointment with God a time of fellowship and intimacy that, in, that is intended to be a life-changing event. He goes on to say, prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we will become more like God or else we will quit praying. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, what is prayer? Prayer. Prayer is communication and prayer is communion. Literally entering into the very presence of the Creator God. So what does does prayer do then? What places us, as we said, in the presence of greatness, the presence of glory and holiness, the very presence of God. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 6.
I'm going to begin reading because of time, but in chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It's not talking about the train that you connect pieces and parts and go down a track. It's talking about that which is behind. It's, and anyway, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet. They had these wings, and they had two of them that covered their face, two that covered their feet. And with two he did fly, or twain. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you realize that Isaiah literally entered into that place in the sense that someone says, well, was he in the body or out of the body? I don't know exactly, but what I know, he saw what he saw and he entered into that throne room and he saw God lifted up and exalted and high. That's exactly where you and I enter when we come boldly to the throne of grace. Prayer brings us into the literal throne room of God. You say, but it don't sound like it, don't feel like it. Why do you think he says to get into a prayer closet? Why why do you think he tells you to get rid of all distraction? Why do you think that God warns us to make sure that we're not able to be caught, caught up in the life, in the things of life while we're trying to reach up to heaven because he wants us to be able to focus our attention on him and literally be trans, trans, uh, transported into his presence. We might not physically leave this earth and fly up into heaven, but we can be there in our spirit, literally communing and fellowshipping in the throne room of God. But it's hard to do that when the phone's beeping. It's hard to do that when we're distracted every other second. It's tough. Man, I made a few phone calls to checking up on some, uh, um, what was it called, the, the, the market, you know, health insurance, the market, you know, this year. Man, I made a big mistake. I told somebody I was looking for information. They sold my number to everybody I mean to tell you, I have continued to receive calls. Within a matter of three days, I think I got almost 80 calls one in those three days. And then I thought, it'll surely end after the 15th. After we get past all that mess, eight, they still keep coming. Man, I mean to tell you, I told my wife, I want to throw this phone away. I don't want nothing to do with it. Drives me crazy. I wonder... How how much does it upset us when things start to interfere with our time with him? Does it bother us? I know when I'm upset because it affects my schedule, it affects my ability to do what I want to do and get done, but do I want to meet with him so badly that it bothers me that I'm being distracted? What steps will I take to ensure I don't then? Hey, you know what? Prayer brings us into the very presence, into the very throne room of God. But not only that, prayer engages all the forces of heaven. It unlocks all the resources and power of God. Turn to Matthew 7, would you? Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. We simply read this. 
Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. What man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If then, being evil, if, if, if then, excuse me, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? If you are bent on giving good things to your children, how much more is the heavenly Father bent on giving us good things? Oh, man. Not only does he want to do it, he's able to do it. How many times have you wanted to do something good for someone, but you didn't have the means to do it? Maybe. God never runs out of the means. See, when we pray, we move or we go from earth to heaven. We go from the temporal to the eternal. We go from hopelessness to hope. We go from a place where the impossible is normal to a normal where normal is impossible. Excuse me. Wait, I got it mixed up. You know what I'm saying, though. I don't have time to go back and explain myself. You know what I'm saying, right? Famous last words, right? Every husband knows, you know what I'm saying, honey. Don't leave it there or you're in trouble, fellas. But anyway, we're praying. And boy, prayer, prayer is an amazing privilege. It places us in his literal throne room and it engages all the forces of heaven and all the resources and power of God. Why is prayer privileged? Because of who God is and who we are. Because of what prayer is and what it does. When Einstein fled Nazi Germany, he came to America and he bought an old two-story house within walking distance of Princeton University. There he entertained some of the most distinguished people of his day. And he discussed with them issues as, I mean, as far-ranging as physics to human rights. I mean, just loved to engage. But Einstein had another frequent visitor. She wasn't, in the world's eyes, an important person like the other guests that had often come to his house. She was just simply a 10-year-old girl named Emmy. <laughs> Emmy heard that a very kind man who knew a lot about mathematics had moved into her neighborhood and since she was having trouble with her fifth grade arithmetic, she decided to visit the man down the block and see if he had helped her with her problems. Einstein was very willing, and of course we know he was able, to explain everything to her so that she could understand it. He would take time with Emmy and he would share with her little things and tricks to find out answers. And she just loved being with Einstein, and Einstein loved being with Emmy. He would tell her often, you're welcome to come down anytime you like, anytime you need help, anytime, just stop by. A few weeks later, one of the neighbors told Emmy's mother that Emmy was often seen entering the house, and uh, the house of a world-famous physics, physician, uh, physician, a famous physicist, that's it, I'm trying to say the words properly, horrified, she was just horrified, she could not imagine, here's my daughter going down to, to Albert Einstein's house? 
I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, like, he's a busy man. He's got so much to do. And so she told her daughter that Einstein was just too important of a man that he didn't have time to waste. His time was exceptionally valuable, and he couldn't be bothered with the problems of a little schoolgirl. And then she rushed over to Einstein's house, and she knocked on the door. And when he answered, she started trying to blurt out an apology for her daughter's intrusion. But Einstein cut her off. And he said, she's not been bothering me. When a child finds such joy in learning, then it's my joy to help her learn. Please don't stop Emmy from coming to me and, with her school problems. She is welcome in this house anytime. I got thinking about that. That's how it is with God, you know. From the very opening pages all the way to the end of the book, the Bible is a story about God and His pursuit of us and of an unchanging and unquenchable and undeserved love that we can receive because He wants us to come to His house. You know how we do that in this life? You know how we enter into his house in this life? Through prayer. He has everything we need. We just have to go to his house. We just have to take the time to cry out to him and knock on the door and say, Oh God, I'm here. Oh God, I'm here. I need you. There's a problem in my life. There's an issue that I'm concerned about. There's a hurt in my heart. Oh God, oh God, hear me, open the door. He is so quick to open that door. He so desperately wants you and I to come to him in prayer. What a privilege prayer is. To think that he would be excited and anxious for us to knock. How sad is it? And we decide we don't need him. And we throw that privilege away. We disregard it like a dirty, filthy rag. Prayers of privilege. May God help us to pray like we ought. To spend time in the very presence of God. To not take that relationship for granted and that opportunity for granted but to exercise this great privilege of prayer while we are in this life. Maybe you've never come to a place where you've accepted and received Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're still lost in your sin and you're bearing the weight and the guilt and the shame of it. I want you to know that God died on the cross for you. He shed His precious blood. He allowed His body to be broken. All for you. He knew, like he states in his word, that there's no way you and I could ever find favor with him without the precious, perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Will you accept his sacrifice? Will you receive him and the gift of eternal life today? Will you cast yourself at his feet 
beg for mercy and forgiveness and receive and accept him as your Lord and Savior today before you leave this place? I trust you will. And it'll be amazing how the windows of heaven will open up to you then. You will have access to God forever. Enjoy even that great privilege of prayer that we've been talking about. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts now, that you would continue to take the word and your spirit and drive home truths. Lord, maybe there's a believer in the room who has neglected their privilege of prayer. Oh, they may be praying, but not like they know they ought to. They haven't been taking full advantage of prayer. They've allowed themselves to get somewhat self-sufficient or forget how much of a privilege it is and how much of an opportunity it is and how powerful prayer can be and how it changes both their life and others. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to maybe to make some decisions today, Lord. Decisions to make prayer a priority in our life, to exercise our privilege of prayer today. Lord, what about that person here that has yet to receive and accept you? I pray, Lord, you would speak to their heart and convict them of their sin and their need of a Savior today. May they recognize that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. May they trust and receive him even today, this morning, as their Savior and Lord. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name.